We're starting a new series today that's going to take us uh, through to the, the summer. Well, maybe this is the summer that will take us well past the summer into winter, uh, somewhere towards the middle of July. Um, it's, called, it's called Vital Signs, and uh, if we had a screen, you'd see uh, that behind you. But if you've read my blog this morning, which of course most of you will do on a Sunday morning out of a sense of duty, um, uh, you'll see the details there. We're asking the question, um, how alive how alive are we? I'm asking the question of myself, how alive am I? How alive is the community of people that I'm seeking to build? I don't mean as a minister here in this context, I mean in our lives when we gather people around us and seek to disciple them and so on. How alive am I? How alive are the people that I'm discipling? How alive is my small group, my missional community, my whatever it might be? How alive is my worship team? How alive is those that are serving us with coffee this morning or or wherever? How alive? Jesus, and this is the premise of these next seven weeks, uh, Jesus often took the physical world to illustrate as a metaphor for the spiritual world. So lots of his parables, when he's trying to make a spiritual point, uh, he uses physical realities. So he talks about a farmer who's sowing or a vineyard that's being grown or a small seed that's being planted. So he uses what's true in the physical realm in order to speak about a reality in the spiritual realm. And perhaps that's not surprising. We in our Western culture separate the different facets of our lives, body, mind, and soul in a way other cultures uh, don't, and certainly Hebraic and Jewish cultures never did. There was a whole, a much greater, and I think we're rediscovering it, but a much greater sense of integration of body, mind, and, and soul. So when the, the Old Testament talks about shalom, it, is it talking about a physical uh, provision? Absolutely. Is it causing, call it, talking about a spiritual provision or an emotional provision? Yes, absolutely, because God is interested in all of it. So the physical world that God has made will have lots of touch points and signposts and metaphors and illustrations about our our, um, spiritual lives and our spiritual uh, journey together. Who liked biology? Ooh, a couple of people. A couple of people. Always felt sorry for the biology teacher. No one seemed interested much in it when I was at school. But one of the things that you still have to learn for GCSE biology are the seven signs of life. The seven vital signs, as I'm calling them. What are they? Come on, all those who said they were into biology. (laughs) Movement. Respiration, growth, excretion, reproduction, sensitivity, I've heard somewhere. We've had the last one. Nutrition, similar, nutrition. 
So if we take the physical reality, the way God has created the physical things, and those seven signs or markers or measures of life, what if we took the reality of those things and applied them to our spiritual lives? What frame of reference would that give us to help us think about what God's doing in us and where we need to see him do more within us? That's our journey for the next uh, seven weeks. And this morning, we're going to look at movement. If something's alive, it moves. There's nothing that is alive that doesn't move. If that hedgehog is still by the side of the road after seven days, it's not alive. I'm sorry to put it as bluntly as that this morning. Everywhere there's life, there's movement. And therefore, it's not surprising, perhaps, when we begin to think about our spiritual lives, that we would expect to see movement there also. And if you think about the way movement penetrates everything, it's not just the animal kingdom that moves, but a plant will move. It'll open up in the morning, and it'll close at night. It will very uh, steadily, but purposefully, orientate its way towards the light and to the sun Everything that's alive moves. It's part of what it means uh, to be living. So when God started to call his people into being, perhaps it's not so surprising that here at the beginning, the call on Abraham's life, one of the early journeyers with God, the early founders of our faith, we see him being called to move in some way. Not just simply a physical movement, but as we'll see in a moment, a spiritual movement also. So if you've got um, your Bible open in front of you, um, I I would say look at it on the screen instead, but I can't. So Bible's open, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So what's going on here for Abraham? The kingdom movement involved in God's call on Abraham's life is what? Well, there are a number of movements that I want us to think about in just a moment. But when God called Abraham, it was like the beginnings of God calling all of us. It was not that God was calling Abraham, but he wasn't going to call anybody else. He was to be the father of the nations that would honor and worship God. So the very first thing for us to receive into our spirits this morning is that God calls you. God calls you. Who knows what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says? Who can have a stab at that? Brilliant. We are God's workmanship, masterpiece, created for good works in Christ that he has already prepared in advance for us. So there is a call on our lives. So when we look at Abraham's call, we can't just say, that happened to Abraham, that was a long time ago, that's not happening to me, and this is the present. What we have to say is, we look at what happened to Abraham, is actually the call on Abraham's life is not in any way dissimilar, fundamentally, to the call that's on 
our lives. What did that call mean for Abraham? Well, the first thing it meant was that there would be a geographical movement for him. A geographical movement. He was to move location. We uh, go from your country to the land that I will show you. If we are to respond to God's call, it will always result in movement. So if you want to stay right where you are, then don't listen to the call that God has on your life. God's call will always create movement of one kind or another. And we see in this verse a geographical movement. Go from your country to a land that I will show you. A geographical reality. And we see that lots of times in Scripture, don't we? Uh, Joseph, Moses, Nehemiah, Jonah, Ruth in the New Testament, Peter, John, Paul, Timothy, etc. All kind of moved geographically in response to God's call. At which point we're thinking, well, I'm pretty safe because I ain't going nowhere. I was born in Ipswich, going to live in Ipswich, going to live a bit longer in Ipswich. But what if moving geographically isn't, isn't like that in that fundamental sense, but it is about understanding where God is placing you. You see, there are so many different places that we inhabit within the place. So I inhabit uh, an extended family I inhabit a wider church family. Uh, I inhabit, because of our children, three different schools. Uh, I inhabit a leisure club where we'll sneak away for some time. Uh, I'm connected into a sailing club. uh, And you'll add in all your different things. So if we had the screen, we'd have some circles on the screen. uh, And uh, different places where we inhabit now, we, we can't really in, fully engage with all of those places all at the time. So there are seasons. And the question that, that comes to my mind, when we think about God's call on Abraham's life and it being a geographical reality, is to think about where has God actually placed me for this season? You see, not everywhere I go is where God has placed me. But, but as the ebb and flow of life takes place, where is the place where God wants me to settle, to invest, to stay, to build relationship, to get involved? And, and at different times, those seasons might be different. When Kerry was chair of the PTA at St. John's, where all our kids went to primary school, we invested there a lot. Now, we don't really invest there in the same way. We take our kids there every now and again when we remember that they need to go to school. But, but we don't, we're not connected in in the same way. It's a different season, different stage. You with me? So, so when God called Abraham geographically, 
The question that was being asked is something like, uh, for us to reflect on, is something like, am I in the place where God wants me to be? Am I in the place where God wants me to be? It wasn't just a geographical thing, though, was it? It was also a relational reality. Go from your people. There was a a separating off, a a leaving a group of people behind in order to embrace uh, or create opportunity for a new set of relationships. And that begs for me a second question. That's not, am I in the place, but am I with the people God wants me to be with? Am I with the people that God wants me to be with? And I think being with the people God wants me to be with is a greater challenge than being in the place. Because the people God wants me to be with are not always the people I want to be with. In the same way that the place where I want to be is not always the place God wants me to be. But the people are harder than the place. And the reason that I know that is that about every 20 minutes, I think to myself, why don't I live in the south of France? Why don't I live in the south of France? And when the weather's like this, you think, well, you don't need to, Simon, do you? Trouble is, when the weather's like this, I'm thinking, if it could do this for one day, why can't it do it every day? Uh, Why don't we live in the south of France? Because the people are not there. Annoyingly. Yeah, a good point. You can move with us. Should we go? Should, like, like now, should we go? Who needs to project? Let's go. <laughs> so we're asking the question, am I in the place? If I'm following God's call, there's movement. Am I in the place? Am I with the people that, that God wants me to be with? And thirdly, There was a spiritual reality here, a spiritual uh, movement, a spiritual leaving. Leave your father's household. In other words, leave your father's ways. Leave behind the way your particular household has been led and run. And we know that Abraham's father, Terah, was from Mesopotamia, where they worshipped many gods, small g, many false gods. And uh, Abraham was called to leave that way of life behind. And you've heard me talk about it before. It was such a, a horrendous culture where there was child sacrifice because you were always trying to offer something more to appease the gods. And in the end, the best thing that you could offer would be your own flesh and blood. And that's why child sacrifice became staggeringly commonplace, however tragic and awful that is in that culture. Leave all of that behind to enter a new spiritual reality. And there's an apocryphal story or or, or a a story in Jewish tradition about what happened the night before Abraham left his father and uh, followed God's call to this new and different land. The story goes that in Terah's house, or perhaps one of his huts, I don't know how to picture it really, it wasn't a house like a terraced house, was it? So I don't know what you're picturing, but whatever, his ha- there was a room in his house. I'll get to the point in a minute. There was a room in his house, and in that room were all the gods that were responsible, in charge of the, uh, the family that looked after them. So little statues or big statues everywhere. 
Story goes, night before he left, Abraham went into that room and smashed all the statues except the biggest one in the middle. And then he put the axe that he'd used to smash them in the hand of the biggest one in the middle, closed the door and left. (laughs) Clever, isn't it? So it looked like, if you're not tracking, it looked like the one in the middle uh, had killed all the others. And Terah apparently goes in and says, how can this be? And Abraham's point is, why do you worship a God that's not alive, that's made of stone, that can't do anything, can't achieve uh, anything? I'm, I'm leaving for the living God. And off he went. And it was to be a journey marked not by, if I do this, I can appease the gods. It was a journey about grace. God was going to say to Abraham, there's nothing that you can do, but come and follow me. Come and journey with me. I mean, we haven't got time this morning, but the whole covenant thing that, that God uh, introduced to Abraham a few chapters later was an amazing act of grace on God's part. I want you to live a totally different way, Abraham. I want you to understand it's all grace. There's nothing you can do to put yourself right with me. It's only what I can do for you. So there was a spiritual leaving, which I think asks the question of us, am I in the right posture spiritually? Am I in the right posture? So am I in the right place? Uh, Am I with the right people? Do I have the right posture those are the three key questions. You can write those down. You can not listen to anything else. And you've got the guts of what I'm saying. Am I in the spiritual posture? Because that's really important, isn't it? Because you can be in the right place with the right people, but the wrong spiritual posture. And what will happen? Nothing. Nothing. The three have to come together. And, and, and it's amazing how we... Amazing how the Bible fits together, is it? Ever noticed that? It kind of all joined up. Kind of like there was someone overseeing the whole project. Never say that at work, do you? Ooh, it looks like there's someone overseeing the whole project. Don't say that at BT, do you? Say, oh, loads of people have got their fingers in this. But you get to the Bible, you go, actually, someone, someone's overlooked all this. Someone's, someone's got this in the bag. Because Joseph... It's a story about movement. So Abraham was the big figure, then Joseph was the next big figure. Joseph is a story about movement, following the call that God had placed on his life, sometimes willingly, sometimes having to catch up with what God was doing. But it was about place, and it was about people, and it was about posture. You see, Joseph needed to be in order... Sorry, sorry, pause. Let me just share the story of Joseph in case you're not sure about Joseph. Joseph... Um, was a country lad, part of God's family, a descendant from Abraham. And God had a call on his life that he would uh, go to Egypt, a secular country, the, the biggest power of the day. He would become the prime minister of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the land, at the time of famine, and many in the world would be saved. So at the end of Joseph's life, he'd go back and say, well, that's what God's call on my life was, and many people were saved because of me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But that involved a move of place, it involved a reorientation about people, and it involved a new posture. And maybe you know the story that uh, Joseph's brothers hated him, they sold him in slavery, but God used that as an opportunity to put Joseph in the right place. So Joseph makes his way down to Egypt. You might think, how on earth did I get to Ipswich? I was dragged here with a slave of, of a caravan of Ishmaelites but maybe it's still the right place for you to be. 
Okay, so Joseph was moved to Egypt, and it says, just very sort of gently, he ended up in the house of the captain of the guard, someone very close to Pharaoh. You can imagine Joseph thinking, I don't want to get to know these pagan people. I don't care. I, I want to go back home with my father and the, and the environment that I... But he's in a new place, and he's being given a new set of relationships. And we know that Joseph embraced those. We know that he served hard, he loved the Lord, and it says the Lord was with him, a lovely phrase. But it took years before Joseph got his posture right. You see, Joseph was a bit of a, bit of a brag, really. You see, he was given this dream when he was young that he would be above all his brothers. He was the youngest, but one. But he, he had this dream that he would be better than all the others. And instead of keeping that to himself, he shared it with his brothers, and it nearly got him killed. And you'll know. You need to be careful what you share with your brother. Yes, thank you. But he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get it out quick enough. And probably irresponsibly, he shared it with his brothers. And even when he's gone through all this stuff in Egypt, he gets arrested, put into prison, and he interprets some dreams while he's in prison, and he hopes that he'll be remembered because he was able to interpret the dreams, and the people that he interpreted the dreams for forgot all about him. And, uh, and almost at the end of the story, there's this little phrase. He's asked to interpret another dream for Pharaoh, the big king himself. And Joseph says for the first time, do you know what? I can't do any of this. It's only God. And in that moment, his spiritual posture changed. And with a matter of minutes, comparatively, he came out of prison and was appointed a prime minister across the whole land. Place, people, spiritual posture. We need to see all of those three line up as we respond to God's call on our lives. And my experience is that it's sometimes hard to get the three to line up. So, for example, when I go to um, the leisure club, my kind of reality in that place is I'm going there to disappear and to escape. It's like a cave, a man cave, you might say. You women know nothing about man caves and do not grow, go in our man's drawer because it will bite you. So I'm in this mindset of just sort of disappearing. Do you know what that does? That totally switches me off to any kingdom potential or reality in that place. Just kind of thinking about that this, this, this week. It's funny how you've got to preach a sermon and you end up having to preach to yourself first. That happens every single week. You know that, don't you? I don't bring anything here that doesn't touch me in some way first because we're all in this together. Uh, and I'm thinking, actually, in that place, I'm, I'm not at all. My, my, my antennae is just zilch, hardly, hardly engaging. More recently, um, just to not feel too rubbish about myself, more recently, I've uh, been connected into a sailing club because one of the kids is sailing. Uh, and I'm thinking really differently about that environment. I'm getting to know some new people. And I'm spending different sorts of time with those people. And actually, I'm thinking kingdom potential, kingdom relationships, what's God doing here? And I was struck this week how different that was. So 
there are places where my spiritual posture is right and there are places where it's not quite so right. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So on a Sunday morning, our spiritual posture is pretty good, isn't it? Monday morning, it's a lot more difficult. And so the right place, the right people, uh, and the right posture all need to line up. And when they, li- when they lined up in Joseph's life, in fact, in so many of the people's lives, when they line up in your life and in my life, suddenly the kingdom potential goes whoosh. And we become alive. But it requires movement, doesn't it? And so I want you to think about this morning what the movement might be that God's challenging you about. Because as I've been talking, you've been thinking about a particular reality or perhaps a couple of realities. I don't know what it might be. Is, is there a geographical movement that you need to make? Now, I've been talking to some folk this morning who are moving house because God's been speaking to them. Paul and Ruth, we heard last week, moving, literally moving to North Carolina because of God speaking to them. It might be that kind of level, but it might be actually, there needs to be movement in all these spheres of places that I'm involved. I need to see more clearly where God is placing me and move into it. Does that make sense? Move more intentionally into that neighborhood. And I think one of the questions that I found really helpful uh, as I think about this is as you think about the different places where you are, do you feel stuck or do you feel that you're stuck in there? Do you feel stuck or do you feel that you're stuck in wherever it is that God's placed you? And that can also be the same with relationships too. You see, you could be in the right place, but having conversations with the wrong people. Now, that's been a kind of fascinating journey for me, um, part of the whole football scene, is that you're in the right place, maybe, that God has for you, but you can invest your time in the wrong relationships, or invest your time in the right relationships. It's like that at work, isn't it? You can invest your relationship time in certain directions or not. So again, are you stuck in the relationships or are you stuck in? And then thirdly, with your, with your posture, uh, are you spiritually stuck? Actually, when you go into certain environments, you see no spiritual potential or spiritual reality. Whereas you know that in other scenarios, you do see that spiritual potential and that spiritual reality. Are you stuck or are you stuck in? We're not quite done. But I suggest we pause there just for a moment, just to let those things settle on our hearts. What's the Spirit saying to you this morning about what movement you might need to make to be in the right place with the right people and having the right posture? Let's just spend 30 seconds quiet for a moment. The trouble is that movement is risky 
in bad weather, do not travel unless your journey is absolutely necessary. Because there's a risk to the journey. And the people of Israel, when uh, God led them out of Egypt, where they were slaves, into the promised land, they got themselves in the desert, and they had a massive wobble. They said, this is too risky. Better for us not to move at all and die in, I was going to say die in Ipswich, <laughs> die in Egypt. <laughs> Awkward. Die, die in Egypt. You know, why have you brought us into this desert here to die? Better that we just stayed there. This, this is all too risky. We don't like this movement. We'd rather stay as slaves. That's a revealing thing about the human heart, isn't it? We'd rather stay entrapped and ensnared than risk the movement. Movement is also very costly. You see, when you move, when the shepherd leads you to green pasture, Psalm 23 tells us that you'll have to travel through what? Dark valleys. You see, green. the whole point of going through a dark valley was not that the shepherd thought this is a great idea. The whole point of the dark valley was it led to greener pastures. And if we're serious about embracing the greener pastures that God has for us, it will inevitably involve movement that's costly, that's sometimes dark and difficult and, uh, and challenging. And so it's so easy, therefore, because of the risk and because of the cost, to believe the lie that the status quo is best. We live with the illusion that if we stay as we are, we are safe and secure. And it's so easy to buy, I'll just do the same thing, in the same way, I'll just keep it all going, just keep it all going, keep on swimming. What was that? Nemo, keep on swimming. No, it's not bonding with anybody. Or, or Forrest Gump, run Forrest, just keep on running, just going to keep on going. Keep on going, it's all going to be okay, we just keep on going. That the status quo provides safety and security, but that's an illusion. That's an illusion. And the challenge of all of this that came to Abraham, that comes to you and me, is that movement requires firstly trust, firstly trust. You see, God didn't tell Abraham exactly where he was going, how annoying of God is that. Because what God wanted from Abraham was for Abraham to trust him above all else. And the second thing, not just trust, but also obedience. Because when God says move, it's risky and it's costly. Moving our relationships is hard work and painful and costly. Moving out of some kind of um, uh, uh, a set of relationships where, where, where we find safety and security for God's kingdom's sake is hard work. That's why small groups go, we're full. We don't need anybody else because we're sharing really deeply now. Someone else comes in, we won't be able to share really deeply. And what we're saying is we're not prepared to go on the journey of trust and obedience and cost and risk to be relating to the right people in the right way. It's not just small groups, it's any group. It happens all the time. It's an effort, but it's about trust and obedience. In the end, Jesus said, hey, not my will, but yours. I'll do this because this is the kingdom call on my life. Joseph, in the end, embraced the place and the people and the posture. Abraham embraced the place, the people and the posture. 
and so we could go through the, the history of the, the Scriptures. What about you? Are you embracing the place? If you're not, then which place is God calling you to embrace? Are you embracing the people for His kingdom? Are you exhibiting the right posture? What's the movement that you need as the Spirit nudges you this morning? Let's pray. quarter past uh, 10 every Sunday morning. You're invited to gather uh, with Kerry and some of those that are uh, a part of our prophetic team just to, just to listen, just to listen to what God might want to say to his people, to his church. And uh, they wrote down a few things this morning that they felt God might be saying to either to somebody or to uh, a few of us as we gather. So let's be quiet for a few moments and I'll just share a few things that uh, we believe we're on God's heart for, for, for us to hear, for us to know. There was the challenge on Abraham's life to leave behind the idols of his father's household. And we sense that for some of us, there's that nudge today about some idols that we need to leave behind. They're so powerless, they're just made of whatever they are, but yet they exert power over us. And a promise alongside that, God wants to release those who are stuck And the first step is to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing for you to unstick me. I'm willing to be unstuck for your kingdom purpose. There's a verse in Isaiah about... Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, about how people consult all kinds of, of things. In those days, mediums and spirits who whisper and mutter. These days, we still consult horoscopes and read our signs and tarot cards and consult with all kinds of people and use all kinds of circumstances to guide us. And I think, again, the challenge, will we throw away the idols that we might listen clearly to God's call on our lives? Do we need to turn away from trusting in some of those things today as we seek to move into what God has for us? And sometimes it's really hard, isn't it, to move out from where we are. The things around us, they have a kind of power, quote unquote, over us. We feel safe and secure in them. And we're just reminded this morning about some verses from uh, the end of John's gospel where, where Jesus and Pilate are having a conversation. And, uh, uh, and 
And Pilate is sort of slightly amazed that Jesus won't speak. And uh, they talk about power. And Jesus says to Pilate, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. There is power from above for us to step into all that God has for us.